So put off for a couple weeks going back in to the apocalypse and kind of wrapping that up. It may take another week or so. But we'll turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Well, um, let's see. Israel's been in the news a little, but not not too much. More along the lines of uh, the ice cream company, Ben and Jerry's, boycotting them. And then uh, boycotting Ben and Jerry's, and then you had like peace between the, uh, the Olympic athletes, the uh, Israelis and the uh, Iranians. Some of the Iranians defected to other countries so that they could compete in judo against the, uh, the Israelis because the Iranians wouldn't let them compete. Um, over in Turkey, there's a bunch of really uh, bad wildfires that's burning up a lot of stuff. And in Greece, I believe it was almost broke the heat record for Europe. So um, a lot of a lot of real weird weather patterns. Last week it was floods. This week it's fires and uh, heat waves. But before that it was heat waves as well. So a lot of things going on in that arena. Signs in the the heavens and the earth, so to speak. So we'll go to the end of this twenty fourth chapter of Matthew today, and then we'll go back and recap and. And kind of look back over things. But previously, we know that, that Christ was talking about, he was saying repeatedly, warning of false Christ uh, going to appear and come through. And also, he, he said that when you see the abomination of desolation, that it has the Antichrist standing in the holy place, that's the Temple Mount, then you, you know that the end is at, at the door. Then we had the, the parable of the fig tree, which uh, seems to point to the nation of Israel being reestablished as a nation, or actually the tribe of Judah specifically, coming in uh, again into the Holy Land and, and ruling there as they have since uh, 1948, or or maybe we could put the date at 1967 whenever uh, they, they retook Jerusalem. Then we went into how at, in the days of Noah, uh, that's how it will be in the end. So we're going to pick it up from there. And you know, we, we talked about what was going on in the days of Noah. We had the, the fallen angels on earth breeding with uh, with women and producing offspring or, or, or hybrid-like children. So we'll start in verse 39. Actually, to get the, uh, the, the whole thing, I'll start in verse 37. But as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 40. Then shall two be in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doeth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known which watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant 
whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and uh, shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour uh, when he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This weeping and gnashing of teeth is always connected with uh, hell and, and the, the second death and also um, when Christ likened what hell will be to the, the garbage pit in the valley of uh, in Hinnon. So that, that's the end of the chapter. But let's go back up here. We see Christ saying that you do not know the exact day and time that he will return, but previously in this whole chapter he's gave us the season and and the things to look for as the time approaches but up here we enter into a situation in verse 40 that has given rise to much confusion it says then shall two be in the field and one shall be taken and the other left two women shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left so it's from this and similar verses that the so-called rapture theory comes from, or the, the rapture teaching. To go into a little detail on the rapture, uh, it's like in the Bible, the word rapture, it does not appear, it, it's not in there. That doesn't necessarily discount it. We can make up words to uh, for, for certain theories or certain teachings. A lot of these parables don't have a name in the Bible, but they are given names by men so that they can be easily referenced. But this rapture teaching, it, it did not, uh, let me first say that there's like three thoughts on the rapture. There's a, a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, and a post-tribulation rapture. So, Pre-tribulation rapture would be before any of these things that we've just read about come to pass. Then Christ gathers up the faithful and he takes them to heaven and uh, they stay there during the seven-year tribulation period and then they come back when Christ comes and conquers the Antichrist. And then there's some people who think that there's a mid-tribulation rapture which the believers go through some bad stuff but not the really bad stuff, and then they're taken up to heaven, and they just pretty much disappear, and everybody's going about their daily lives, and all of a sudden, a bunch of Christians are gone. They're just gone. And then there's post-tribulation rapture, which is like after all these things happen, after uh, the Christians witness against the Antichrist, then when Christ ultimately returns, he returns one time, and all the people are gathered, and, and they are changed, at that time into uh, different bodies and stuff along that nature. So prior to, let's say, the early 1800s, around 1808, there was no teaching of a pre-tribulation rapture or, or 
far as I know, a mid-tribulation rapture. It, it, it just wasn't taught. There was a, a Catholic priest who, who wrote a study or, or a book on it, and the teaching was that you're just going to be standing around one day, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and he snatches everybody up, and they fly away to meet him in uh, the heavens, and then the tribulation period starts, and all the really bad people are left on earth, and they go through the tribulation. Now, there ain't no Christians left. They're all gone to heaven. Then some of the preachers of that day started reading this and kind of picking it up and kind of teaching it themselves. They um, Back then, preachers weren't on TV like they are now or having uh, big congregations. A lot of the more famous ones would travel from town to town and they were great orators. You can imagine there's no speakers or, or sound systems or nothing like that. And some people are blessed with the ability to carry and cast their voice so that large numbers of people can hear it even though you know it's a great crowd around them. So those preachers became very popular because they do like a, a circuit. They go, they travel from town to town. One of them was a man named uh, John Darby, I believe. And he was very famous. And he went up around 1835. He was kind of teaching this uh, this rapture, this pre-tribulation rapture. But uh, there was this uh, young girl in Scotland named Margaret MacDonald that uh, she was having visions and hallucinations and, and things of that nature. And she was kind of prophesizing. And, and at any rate, Darby went up there and he met her. And he kind of came back even more convinced of this pre-tribulation rapture. And another man named uh, Schofield, he also was uh, teaching this. And he made, I don't know the whole history of it, just from my memory. But uh, uh, Schofield was another famous preacher. And Schofield uh, went and he did like kind of a Bible commentary in inside of his Bible. It's a very famous Bible. Even in use today, it's called a Schofield Bible. All the Schofield Bibles are, uh, I believe, like the same page number matches up and all, no matter what Schofield Bible you got. So some people like it as a reference work. But he put in these teachings of pre-tribulation rapture into this, and he also taught it, and it became very... A very common teaching in the early 1900s, mid-1900s, especially in England and American Protestant churches, especially evangelical churches and holiness churches. Today, we have a situation where it is probably the predominant teaching on the apocalypse that pre-tribulates, and then there in the mid-90s, there was a man named Tim LaHaye that, that wrote a bunch of famous books called Left Behind series, and that even more popularized this pre-tribulation rapture. It was a fiction book, but they made a lot of movies, and they, they sold, I think they sold hundreds of millions of copies. Um, so where a lot of that comes from is things that, in my opinion, are, are not in the Bible. They I mean, it just doesn't say it. 
Now there's some places that we may could get it. So I don't discount it outright. I, I certainly would hope that you know to be lit out or to get off easy during the, the tribulation, not have to go through it. But then again, it may be our purpose as Christians to witness. So let's see if we look into this closer. What we can, what the Bible actually says. Now in this verse 40, we have a, a confusion of the subject. Either side of the argument, neither side of the argument, in my opinion, can claim to be entirely certain. Verse 40 says, Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. So, which is which? We do not know for certain is the one taken? Is he taken by Christ when he comes, takes him, takes him back to heaven, and then comes again? Or are they taken by the Antichrist? Does a, a false Christ come along and say, your work's done here, you don't have to work in the field, or you know, symbolic of the world. You don't have to, uh, I'm here now, you don't have to, to keep struggling. I'm about to rapture you away. He appears and like things are pretty bad and I'm going to, we about to be gone from here. All you got to do is worship me and get all your family to worship me and we're going to be gone. And so these people would run off and it would be the true Christians who are still in the field working, actually doing their most important work during that time. So here we have a document that is 2,000 years old, written in a a dead language now, and I think that there is some confusion of the subject and object, and it cannot be completely sorted out here. When it was recorded, it may not have been, they left out like who, which one is being taken, if you understand what I mean. So... Let's look at other places in the Bible where it talks about the end of this age. Let's go to, first we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Yeah, yeah I, I would hope so, but... It, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like I said, it is the most common teaching. Let's see what the Bible itself says. We'll go down to verse 50 here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither do of corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that's very important that we, that we, this little caveat here, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put away on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O, o death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength 
of sin is the law, but thanks to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So it says here, this word sleep here, we'll go into it a, a, a little more in, in a moment. It says we should not all sleep. This is a euphemism for die. Not everyone will die, but in the moment of a, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Previously in this chapter, in uh, verse 39, we've covered this before. Verse 39, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. And he, what he's talking about is being changed from is from a flesh body to a spiritual body. Verse 39 says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial, celestial means heavenly bodies, and terrestrial, terrestrial means earthly. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So we have two bodies. One is this flesh body, a terrestrial body, which will die and is not meant to be eternal. And the other is a celestial body. And we, everyone goes into that body at the last trump. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is another letter of the Apostle Paul. It is perhaps one of his earliest letters, maybe his earliest letter. Uh, it's written, the letter we just read was to the Corinthians. This letter to the Thessalonians was written from Corinth. From He was in Corinth at that time when he wrote this letter. So again, one of his earliest letters here. We'll start in chapter 4 of verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, considering them which are asleep, uh, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus dies and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So they'll come with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So this word prevent them, though in English prevent means to stop. In the Greek it's pathano, which means to proceed. So if we read this again, for we say unto you by the word of our Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord will not precede them which are asleep. I wrote the word in here, but I can't really uh, read my handwriting in a colored pencil. But the word here, sleep, is komio or komiai. I can't see how I exactly wrote it. The word here, it means uh, to be deceased. Uh, asleep here means to be deceased. Further on, we'll see where it actually means to sleep. But in this sense, what is translated as sleep here means to be dead. 
So the ones that are alive shall not gather to the Lord before those which are already dead. Now, verse 16 in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, the dead in Christ, they are already with Christ. Other places it says to be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. And so we have a little, somewhat of a, maybe a garbled translation or a, a syntax from one language to the other. Then which we are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, confront one another with these words. So there we have basically what is the rapture teaching. The, the people that are alive rise into the air or their spirits or their bodies or whatnot, and they meet the Lord as he descends with the other saints in this teaching here in Thessalonians. And here we have, you can actually look and see how the, the chapters are put in by men. These chapters and verses are, are put in by men. These letters run straight together. There are no chapters and verses because in verse 4, 18, it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. And then it changes to chapter 5. In my opinion, you would have probably kept it in chapter 4. But we'll start in chapter 5. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So, Again, we reiterate that point of peace and safety. Remember in other places, Jeremiah chapter 8, Ezekiel chapter 13, when they say peace and security concerning Jerusalem, then shall sudden destruction overtake them. And here, we do not know the day and hour, but we do know the season when plenty of signs will lead up unto the end. Verse 4, chapter 5, verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that, that they should overtake you as a thief. You're the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So the nearness of these two uses of asleep in English can be uh, confusion. Here it is... Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because my handwriting here is bad. Cathedo. Cathedo. Uh, and I don't pronounce Greek very well. But this word sleep, it means to actually be asleep or to slumber. Whereas the other one in verse, chapter 4, verse 15, means to be dead. Or it's a euphemism for being dead. So we have two very similar English words that are actually two very different Greek words. And if we remember, the Lord has sent the spirit of stupor or slumber on some that they might believe a lie so that he might have mercy on them in the end. So those who know that the Antichrist comes first and they worship him, then they have committed the unforgivable sin. And those who do not know and, and worship him, um, 
Well, they'll get off a little easier. They'll be teaching during uh, the thousand years when the dragon's locked in the pit. We'll go into that a little later. So we see they have the spirit of slumber put on them. That uh, not this is not. It is for everyone, but not everyone seeks it. The Lord says, "Seek and you shall find." Uh, a lot of times we just go to church and the preacher tells us what to think, whereas the word of the Lord says, "Study to show thyself approved." So here we have. So maybe somewhat of a confusing verse, but we have some commonality. We're gathering back to the Lord, and there at the last trump, at the trump of the Lord, it everybody gathers up, and in the previous 1 Corinthians 15, we're all changed at the last trump. So this here it's caused some confusion. It even caused confusion then, and I'll show you how it caused confusion, because we'll turn... To the very next letter, and so a lot of people think this is perhaps the second earliest letter of the Apostle Paul. We'll just turn one more page to Second Thessalonians. Second letter. This is written very, very soon after the first letter. We know this because it first verse says Paul and Silvanus and Timothy and to the church in Thessalonia. Uh, Silvanus, Silvanus and uh, Timothy. Uh, Silas and Timothy were uh, with Paul when he wrote the first letter. So we'll turn to the second chapter. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now this was written very soon after the first letter to the Thessalonians where we just read about our gathering back to the to Christ because it caused some confusion. So here the Apostle Paul clears up all confusion in my in my opinion. Now we uh, beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that you should not be soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word. Now, I need, I didn't emphasize this, but in verse 1, but by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So we're talking about when the Christians go with Christ. Verse 2 says that you should not be soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as to the day that Christ is, the, the, the day of Christ is at hand. So what we just read was a letter from them. So now he's setting the record straight and he's saying, don't be troubled by anything that you hear from men or anything because I'm giving you the exact thing here, how it will be. It says, nor by letter from us, which is what First Thessalonians is, is a letter from them, that the day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalt himself above all that is called God or or that is worshipped so that he is God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So here we have the same thing that Christ talked about. It's like you know that the end of time or the end of this age is near when you see the abomination of desolation 
standing into the holy place, claiming, uh, exalting himself above God. And here the Apostle Paul, now uh, we know that the Apostle Paul got his knowledge through direct revelation. He would not, the time that this was written, the Gospel of Matthew probably had not been written yet. Now the Apostle Matthew was, was there, but most people think that, I mean nobody really mentions this, but Paul would not, when they did not have these Bibles, like all the scriptures there together, they may just have one or two scrolls of, of scripture. It's not like they can look back over like we can. So the Apostle Paul naturally spoke to God directly, or Jesus. They would not even have had access to the, the section of text where Jesus had spoken about the abomination of desolation. So it's not like he copied it from him. This is a, a, another witness. So it says that this day shall not come except there come a falling away first that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The son of perdition is the one that is uh, already judged to die and there is none that has been judged to die except for Satan by name and uh, his fallen angels by relation to him. Who oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or his worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. You know that withholding that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Only he now which leadeth will lead until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed for the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and to destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the workings of Satan and with all the powers and signs and lying wonders and all with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Again, we, we go back to those who the Lord God has sent uh, the spirit of stupor or, or the spirit of sleep upon them. I'm, I've got a note here on Romans chapter 11, verse 8. Let me see if it correlates. Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 8. This may be uh, in um, the Jews who do not accept Christ, but it is still applicable that the Lord sends a spirit of slumber upon some. But verse 8 says, According as it is written, God has sent them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not see, that they should not hear unto this day. So sometimes for our own good, uh, the Lord blinds those who are not ready to receive the truth. So we'll go back to Matthew 24 really quick. We'll go to verse 29. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give forth her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall the sign, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven into the other. And then after that, it changes subject and says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. So then, if we go back to this, we see that in all three instances, it is linked to the last trump. And here it says that this trump shall be sounded after the tribulation period. And then the Apostle Paul kind of creates some confusion. And he knows he did in 1 Thessalonians when he's talking about us gathering back to Christ and uh, the living not not preceding the dead. But so then he comes back along in Second Thessalonians and he explicitly makes it clear, to me anyway, that our gathering back to Christ shall not come until the man of sin be revealed, which deceives the whole world. We'll go back and hit these points more. Now, now there's a few places that could be conceived as his elect will not suffer temptation. And we can read that several ways as in, They wouldn't be here because they were raptured pre-tribulation. Or we could also see it as if they know that the false Christ comes first and there's a man appearing to be Christ and saying he's Christ, well, that really wouldn't hold much temptation for him anyway, you know? Again, that's why I took more time to put this teaching together because it enters into a controversial and confusing subject, uh, which is the rapture theory which is something that is taught in churches today that you don't have to understand the prophecies of the Bible because you're going to be gone anyway. But that is a lazy way out in my opinion, especially when we consider that the word revelation in Greek is uh, apocalypse, which means the unveiling. It is meant to be understood or attempted to be understood We'll continue on with this in a few more lessons. But that is the basic gist of the seven-year period that leads up to the end of this age. Uh, do y'all have any questions? Comment? Concern? Uh, it is the seventh trump. It is mentioned in Revelation. There's seven seals, seven vials, and seven trumps. They're all the same thing. In most of them, uh, the Antichrist, or in all of them, the Antichrist appears in the sixth seal, sixth trump, sixth vial. Uh, only it would appear the trumps are in chronological order. The others are kind of bounced around. So it would seem. I can't say for certain. I mean, people have studied this 2,000 years, and I don't expect to have the definitive answer on it myself here. You know, but uh, we are blessed in this age that we have the life works of many men who have dedicated their entire life, brilliant men who have dedicated their entire life to uh, the study of the Bible in, in one specific area. And we have the, the whole volume of their work to, to study and kind of try to figure out for ourselves what it means. And then, then we have the news of the day to to look at. Uh, But we'll wrap that up for, for here and now.